tough sometimes, isn't it? That was beautiful. Thank you, Jesse. This girl's out of my rough morning. There he is. We got the the the, the tear row right here. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, right? Two things were on my mind this morning that I really didn't plan to say, and I just want to share them really quickly with you. First, um, I believe it was David Platt. Uh, David and I went to seminary together. We weren't friends or close or anything. I just knew who he was and all in seminary. But he went on to pastor a church in Birmingham, Alabama, and the, the church was it was a big church. But David was very different as far as the way he led the church. And he made a statement not long ago that got picked up on social media and passed around. But and I'm not doing an exact quote, okay? I'm just giving you the gist of what he said. But he basically said, what if we, what if we took all the, the fancy lights away and the projectors and the great sound and the band and the comfortable seats and all those things? You know, what if we took all of that away? Would God's people still gather together and worship him? Is he, is he worth that? Is he worthy of that if we took away all the stuff? Because you can draw a crowd. You know, with things and stuff, but that's not the same as the church, and that's not the same as worship. And I just I remember that, and and, and him saying that. Second thing was this: someone told me in the church I was growing up in that you don't go to church for people; you go for the person, for God Himself. And that if you if you go to church, if you go to the gathering of the church, and and you're looking for what people can give you, well, sometimes it'll be okay, and sometimes it'll be disappointing. But if you go looking for what God has for you, then he doesn't disappoint you. And I got to thinking about that, and I, I can't tell you any time when I've shown up with God's people hoping that God would speak to me in some way or show me something or teach me something. Anytime I've ever shown up with God's people with that as my hope, God's found a way to speak to me in some way. I don't mean audible voice. I don't mean something that's life-changing, life-altering. But he's always found a way to get to me. Because I went gathering with his people looking for him. And so if you came here today hoping that God would find a way to you, then, then I believe he does. I believe he will. He does it through the scripture. He does it through the prayers. He does it through the songs. He does it through other believers. He just, God finds a way to communicate to you. He, he finds a way to just give you a hug, give you a smile, give you a message, give you a word. That's what he does. He lets you know his presence. And that comes straight from the promise of Jesus. who said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there. So if you got two sitting around a table talking about Jesus, there's really three. And he finds a way to speak to us. He is a good God. I know that if I ask any of you, or if I walked into any Christian church around here, and I just did my pop quiz, do you believe God is good? Everyone is going to say yes, right? Everyone's going to say God is good. And they've heard that little phrase, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. You've heard that? So no one's going to get the answer wrong, okay? But here's what's been on my mind for a week, and the reason I want to kind of camp out in Romans 8 for a few weeks and talk about the good God. It's not that we get the answer wrong. It's just when life goes wrong, 
when things get difficult for us, we, we will never, people don't say it. I mean, rarely does someone ever express to me that they're mad with God or that they don't think God is good. But in their heart, that's where they question. When, when everything, when things don't go the way they should or the way you want them to go, somewhere in your heart, there's like this little, it just kind of bubbles up. You know, you're like, where did that come from? But we question whether God is really good. Because if he was really good, why is this happening to me? See what I mean? And if you've never done that before, if you've never, never had that whisper pop in your mind, if you've never felt that in your heart, just hang on. It'll happen. It happens to all of us. But he is the good God. And so what I want to do today is I kind of get started with this. I'm going to, I'm going to read the scripture. I hope you'll take it to heart. If you haven't already memorized Romans 8.28, go ahead and do that. And by the time we're done with this, you'll have it. Put it on your fridge. I mean, this is one that I promise you will need. And you'll need it over and over again in your life. And then I'm going to give you a series of questions that just kind of help us think about the Christian life and what we're doing and why we do it. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through this idea, the good God. Is he good? Do I believe that? Do I really believe that? Do I? It, it's easy to believe it when everything's good. It's easy to believe it when you got money in the bank and your health is fine and everything's kind of like you want it. No major problems in your life. God is good. But when everything comes undone, that's when we question. And I want us to the core of our being to believe that God is good. When he gives us what we want, he's good. But when he withholds what we want, he's also good. When he blesses us with things we hoped to have, he's good. When he takes away those things, he's also good. He's always good. But let's look at the scripture itself. This is Romans 8. I'll read verses 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pause here and pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for loving us. Thank you for what we've just read. We started this service reading of how we are never going to be condemned because of your great love. And now we read, Lord, that somehow you take everything and you bring good. And we don't claim to understand all of that, but we believe it's because you are good. And so, God, take this word, take these verses and this chapter over the next few weeks and put it in our hearts in such a way that it changes who we are so that we never forget and never act like you're not good, so that we never choose as though you're not good. Let it make that kind of difference in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So behind all of our prayers, behind all of our beliefs, is something really fundamental. And those, those fundamental things will come out as this. Is God good and does God love me? 
That, that's at the bottom of everything. And if you notice in your relationships with other people, that seems to be the, the, the foundational kind of thing as well. Because it doesn't matter what a person says to you. It doesn't matter a whole lot the things they do necessarily. It's whether you believe that they have your best interest at heart and that they love you. Because if, you, if you're convinced they love you, if you're convinced that they're on your side, even when they do things that you don't like, it, it, it's okay to you because you know they love you and they're on your side. That's what we're saying about God. Is even when he doesn't bring the things we hoped we'd have, he's still good because he loves us. And so it's behind all of our beliefs, it's behind all of our prayers. Uh, today when we were riding in the church, we were talking about theology. And of course, you know, my undergraduate degree is in theology, which to some people is like, wow, that's so much fun. And to other people, that's like studying dirt, you know, <laughs> who wants to study theology? That just seems like the worst possible thing. All I can tell you is it's not nearly as boring as it sounds, okay? It was quite fascinating. But one of the things that, that we were able to study about theology is the history of theology, history of doctrines, those kinds of things. And you take some important doctrine, you know, any important doctrine, creation, return of Christ, anything like that. You take that doctrine and you study it and you look how over the centuries and over the years the doctrine has changed, how it branched off in other denominations. Why, why did one denomination take this doctrine in this direction and another take it in a different direction. Now, when I say doctrine and theology, understand I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily mean truth, okay? Because there is God's truth, and theology is the study of God, which is the study of God's truth. And as you know, by all the different denominations we have in the world, people have come to different conclusions about what God's truth is, okay? So that's theology. That's why it's fascinating. And then you've got political things, and you've got economic pressures, and you've got social movements and cultures. All of these things feed into the truth of God, and it comes out as a different form of doctrine or theology. And that's why you can study the same doctrine and watch it change. It's the reason we have so many denominations today and all of those kinds of things. So it's fascinating. But underneath all of that is this belief and idea that God is good. That he really is good. That he loves you and that he's on your side. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you five questions, okay? And, and all of these will tie back into the idea that God is good. So those of you who write these things down, just write these five things down. The first question is this. Can you give? Okay, can you give? And what I mean by that is people who are evil in their actions or people who don't know God or people who don't care about God or people who don't care that they don't care about God. That, that whole group of people out there, can you give to them? And I'm not talking about money in any way. I'm just saying, can you, can you give? Because if God is good, then he's the ultimate giver. And he gave to us the greatest gifts that we could ever be given. And he did it before we ever cared. He did it before we were ever born. He did it because he is good. And there's some kind of reflection of that in the world through us. So that's where I'm starting. If God is good, can you give? 
Because the answer for that is supposed to be yes for us. Because if God's good and we look like him a little bit in this world, then giving is going to be a part of that. It's, it's giving of ourselves. It's giving of our time. It's giving of our abilities. Whatever it is, it's can we give. Can you, can you do something like, like what Jesus talked about? He said, pray for those who curse you. Bless those who persecute you. And you do that. I'm not saying put yourself in harm's way. I'm not saying um, put yourself at risk. I would, I, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. <clears throat> but I am saying when there are people who are not on your side, what did God do when we were not on his side? He loved us. He blessed us. And something like that gets seen in our lives. So if God is good, then there's some goodness that comes from God that's in us and it makes its way into the world. And that's the first question. Can you give? I know I've said this in the last year or two. I'm going to continue to repeat it. If, if you've got a new enemy or whatever, someone who's not on your side, you still, gotta, you still need to do that thing that Jesus said. Pray for them. Okay? And, and I'm going to say if you can't, Pray any other way. Go over to the Psalms. Find you some of those vindication prayers. Read those. Pray those. Because that's appropriate. You can talk to God about what you wish on your enemies. It's okay. But that will change. Okay? Because you're starting. You're praying. You're doing what Jesus said do. It'll eventually change. You'll get to neutral. And by neutral, I mean this. You pray for those who are against you. And you pray, God, I don't even like this. But would you bless them? See how hard that is to say? God bless my enemies. God bless them. Don't be like Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? God told Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites. Okay? Please understand, um, Nineveh, the ancient city of Nineveh is in Iraq. You remember when we fought the Iraq War? Okay, I remember when that was going on and it was kind of at its height, you know, and people over here just didn't like Saddam Hussein or anybody on his side. They didn't like the Iraqis. And, and I'm just over here thinking about Jonah and how Jonah got sent to them. Jonah was sent to his enemies. And do you, do you remember what Jonah told God about it? Because when God finally started talking to Jonah about all of this, Jonah complained. He said, I didn't want to go because I knew you were good. And that you would forgive. And that you would be gracious to them. That's why Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to go because God was good. And he knew God would be good to his enemies. Alright. If you had not been there, just hold on. You'll get there one day. Everybody's going to hit that spot. And that's what I mean. Pray for your enemies. Even when it's so hard. God, I don't like this. Nothing in me wants to do it. But, but Jesus taught me to do it. So God bless my enemies. And then eventually you'll be able to add a little more to that. Maybe you'll be able to add a little more to that. And you know when you're done? You're done when you feel it in your soul. I wish I could be more, you know, I could clarify that a little better for you. But one day you'll be praying that prayer and it'll be as if the Spirit just says, okay, you're done. You're finished. You're, you're through praying for your enemy in this way. And that, that's not so much about what happens to them because you don't know what happens to them. It's about what happens to you and what's inside of you. So start there. Can you give? Let me give you the second question. Can you love and pray? And I know I just talked about that a little bit, so I'm not going to add a whole lot more to it. But love and pray I wanted to put together. But love I don't mean as a feeling. I mean as an action. I mean if you see them broke down beside the road, would you stop to help? That, that's love and action. 
If you knew they needed something. The scripture says if, you're, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If it's within your power to do good to them, would you do it when given that opportunity? It doesn't mean that, you know, you have warm, fuzzy feelings for them. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means would you act in love toward your enemies? Would you love? So that's the second one. Let me give you the third one. Question's going to change. It's going to be a little longer. Okay, here it is. Is the cause of Christ in this world greater than your need for safety, possessions, or even freedom. I don't mean freedom like go to jail, okay? I mean freedom like the ability to choose what you want to do, where you want to go. You know, all those kinds of things. So let me read it again. Is the cause of Christ in this world greater than your need for safety or possessions or freedom? In other words, is the cause of Christ in this world that great? Matthew 28, 19. When Jesus is about to leave, he says to his disciples, go into all the world, all the nations, and make disciples. Teach them the things I've taught you. Matthew 28, 19 is what we call the Great Commission. It sets a purpose and direction for our lives as believers and for us as, as a church. What we're supposed to be about is making disciples, which just means helping people grow in their walk with Christ, helping them learn to follow him, providing the kind of support that we need for one another so that others can can move forward in this walk of discipleship. Those that have been walking further than us, they model that for us. Those who have spiritual gifts, they use that for the benefit of everyone. But that's what we're talking about, making disciples, helping people grow in their faith. That's what we're supposed to do. So is the cause of Christ that great? For you, that, that you would be willing to put at risk your own safety, your own possessions, or even your own freedom. And maybe when I say freedom, maybe I mean more autonomy than anything. Autonomy. And, and, and I say it that way because, because for so many people, they have the mindset, this is my life. I'll make my choices. I'll do what I want to do. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you gave that up. You gave up that kind of autonomy. You, you laid that down at his feet and you said, Lord, it's not my life, it's your life. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll serve you in the way you want me to do so. You give that up. Is the cause of Christ, is Christ himself great enough for you to be able to do those things? Let me give you question four. Is the gospel of Jesus worthy of your sacrificial love is the gospel of Jesus worthy of your sacrificial love? So here, here's the way I would explain that. More than once in your life, you will be called upon to sacrifice something that's important to you. Okay? It, it's not a sacrifice if it wasn't important to you. If you didn't have to give something up, if you didn't need to give something away, if you didn't need to spend something you could have kept, you don't, if, you weren't, if you weren't asked to, to let go of something that you could have held on to, it wasn't a sacrifice. It was just a gift. You know, you can take your generosity and you can give out of your generosity. That's not a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice if it costs you something. And what I can promise to you as a follower of Jesus Christ is that he will call upon you more than once in your life to do something that will cost you. It will absolutely cost you. And look, Jesus said it. Outright. 
We looked at these verses not long ago. If anyone will follow me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. It will absolutely cost you something. So is the gospel worthy of that? Is the gospel worth that to you? Something to think about. Every one of us here, we've got our own little stories. You know, we've got our own stories of how we came to the Lord, how we heard the gospel, people in our lives who've helped us in the walk of faith. And if you think about those people that were so important to you before you got to today, every one of them, they were required to sacrifice something somewhere along the way. Every single, if you knew them well, you, you know something about their sacrifice. And that doesn't stop with you. It continues with you. So if you're, if you're going to be part of what God wants to do in this world, he's going to ask you to do the same thing. He's going he's to give you something, whether it's something you hold, possess, or it's in you, whatever it is. He's going to give you something, and then he's going to ask you to give it. And it'll be a sacrifice for you. And, and that's part of following him. There's no way around it. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, just real quick, I'll mention my pastor growing up was Gene Gaines. Really two, let me mention two. The, the pastor that baptized me was Emmett Roper, and the pastor who was my pastor for many, many years, the one that after I was a pastor I always called, his name is Gene Gaines, and he, he lives in a, a nursing home now in Dothan, Alabama. But both of those men, when I was an adult in, in ministry, both of them took the time to tell me about their ministries and what had happened. And it's, it's I don't know anything to do but chuckle about it sometimes. The times when they were my pastor, that's when they looked back and said, hardest time of their life. <laughs> I'm like, am I the common factor here? I don't think I'm the common factor. But it just so happened that when each of these men were my pastors, those were the hardest times of their lives. That's how they looked back at their life and ministry and said those years were some of the hardest years that I ever had. But I didn't see that and I didn't know that at the time. You know, I was not aware. I knew it might have been a little rough, but I had no idea what they were going through. Okay? But it was. And they were required to make sacrifices, to be where they were, and to do what they were doing. And the impact on my life, I can't measure it today. And had they not chosen to be there to do those things, to make those sacrifices, if, if their spouses had not been willing to make those sacrifices, you know, I don't know what would have happened. But, but looking back, I know that they made great sacrifices to be where they were. And somehow in all of that, I received great blessings. I don't think I'm the only one who was blessed by it, but I am definitely one who was blessed by it. But they were called upon to sacrifice. And that's why I say to you that those important people that have meant so much to you in your faith through the years, if you know enough about them, you know that they had to sacrifice to do that. This is just the path that Christ calls us. Again, he went to the cross. I mean, Tyler and I have been talking about Matthew for weeks now. And, and it's like a distinct turn in the gospel where Jesus starts making his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going there. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to be put to death. And he starts telling his disciples, and they don't get it. But that's our model. He went to the cross. He went willingly. He sacrificed himself for us. And he says, if you're going to follow me, this is your model. This is what life's going to be like. You're, you're going to have to lay down your life for my cause. 
So that's question number four. Is the gospel of Jesus worthy of your sacrificial love? Here's question five. Are you willing to open your hands and your heart and be poured out for the sake of Jesus? There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 5. We won't read it today, but just those of you making notes, Matthew 5, 38 through 45. Okay. Let's go back and, and read Matthew 5, 38 through 45. And that's where I, I get this, this idea of open hearts and open hands. Because you can go through life two different ways. You can try to hold on to everything, and I just use my hand as an illustration. You can just you can try to do it like this. You know, you're just holding on to everything. Or you can go through life like this with your hand open. And you in this position, you can receive and you can give. And so you can go through life like this. It's hard to receive. It's, you're not going to give anything away, holding everything on, holding on to everything. But when you go through life like this, now you can receive from God and you can offer to others. And that's an open hand. And you need an open heart the same way. And when I mentioned sacrifice a moment ago, this is another way of speaking to that. Because what, what Christ will do is he will ask you to pour yourself out for the benefit of others. That's what he'll ask you to do. He won't say to you, here, follow me, and we'll get some self-actualization. Follow me, and I'll make your dreams come true. That's not at all what Jesus says. He says, follow me, and I'm going to call you to do what I've done, and that's pour yourself out for the sake of other people. That's at the heart of what it means to be a believer. Now, if you walk this path, you do some of these things. They're going to look different for every person, right? It's going to be different for any of us. But if you do this, I guarantee you, you'll wake up some days going, what in the world? I could have made a different choice. I could have gone a different way. I didn't have to do this. I didn't have to be here. You know, you, you'll start thinking those kinds of thoughts. And that's where Romans 8.28 becomes so important. Is God good? Is he really good? Because you, he's asking you to do something that goes against Sometimes everything else in you, because you don't want to do that. You don't want to give that up. It says that's not, that's not what other people do. They live a different kind of life, but that's not what Jesus called you to do. So you'll, you'll question, is he really good? And that's why Romans 8.28 will come back in play. So let's look at it one more time. Ready for the verse? And we know, do we know, right? And we know that God causes, and here's that word, all things. All things are not good, but God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. All things. That blows me away. You look back over your life, okay? No matter how old or young you are in this room today, you look back over your life, you've got your stories. <clears throat> Somehow, God has taken every single one of your stories... All of them. And he works it together for good. I don't pretend to understand that. But he does it because he's a good God. Let me give you this story. And you can look at it and read it and think about it later. But right at the end of the book of Genesis is the story of Joseph. It kind of works on through several chapters. But when you get to the end, Joseph has this big encounter with his brothers. Now, if you remember the story, when Joseph, he was the youngest brother, when he was a young man, his older brothers sold him to a band of gypsies. 
literally. They sold him into slavery. Now, how much do you have to hate your brother to sell him into slavery? Right? Like you, this is not we disagree over a few things or we argue. They sold their brother. They got rid of him. Like we're never gonna. Then they went back and told their dad. Wild animal killed him. Look at look at his clothes. He's gone. So they sold their brother. They lied to their dad about it, and then they just lived with it. Everybody keep the secret. Family secrets, right? Let's just keep the secret. Nobody tell dad. And that's what they did for years. Until a famine came. And then they needed food. And the only place to get food, they heard, was in Egypt. So they show up in Egypt. And there's this guy there who's over everything. And he's the one going to dole out the food. And he does. And they don't know who he is. They don't know what's happened. They had no idea he wound up in Egypt. They didn't know he had been thrown into prison. They didn't know he had been accused of all kind of immorality. They didn't know that he eventually came to the the uh, attention of the Pharaoh. They didn't know that he had risen to power. They didn't know that at this point, from a functional standpoint, he was the most powerful man in Egypt. They had no idea what had happened to their brother. And when they come before him, they don't recognize him. And the scripture says he went away and wept because he knew who they were. Then they had to beat again because they, they, you know, he told them, you, you go back, you bring, your, you bring your father. And when they all got back, that's when he made it known who he was. And his brothers were terrified. The, the guy that we hated, the guy that we sold, the, the guy that, that we hoped and thought we'd never see again, he's now this powerful man and we are at his mercy. And Joseph took that moment to do good. And he says something that just floors me in the end of the book of Genesis. He says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We're talking about a man, most of his adult life was in Egypt, away from his family, prison, suffering, all of that because his brothers did what they did. And yet at a much later point in his life, that's how he understood it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's Romans 8.28. That God works all things for good to those that love him. I don't know how to explain that. I just know how to illustrate it. I don't know how to explain that. I just know how to tell it. Because it's going to look a little different in your life than it looks in mine. But it's true. And it's true because he's the good God. And so I'm asking you today to take that to heart. And over these next few weeks, we'll kind of look at different aspects of that. Okay, We'll look at a little bit more of it. But he's the good God. So whatever you, whatever's on your plate right now, whatever's in front of you right now, I, I want to ask you to take that. Just look up to God and, and you can tell God, I don't understand this. I'm not even sure I know how to move forward. But I believe you're good. And I believe you work all things for good. And I'm going to trust you in this. We're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to have a time of prayer. And I want you to have a little time to talk to God about these things. So let's stand together. Our Father in heaven, thank you again for the message of your word, for this verse, for the, the ways that this truth is illustrated in the Bible. We thank you. God, it is my prayer for each person here, whatever you have brought into their life, whatever they're dealing with today, 
Lord, we want to take all these things. We want to lay them before you. And we want to trust you because you are the good God. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.